Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real estate experiment, what is happening y'all? Today we have a special, special guest. We got Will Roundtree in the building. And uh, Will, thank you for being on the show, man. And uh, welcome to the lab. Oh man, I appreciate the uh, invite. I'm extremely humbled and excited. And uh, man, anytime I get to work with uh, individuals who are, you know, in the same space, uh, you know, have the same passion and vision, I, I get extremely excited. So I'm probably equally as excited as you, King. Thank you. Thank you, boss. Appreciate that. So, so like I said, I was just saying this offline. This is the lab. This is raw. What I love about the lab, Will, is we get folks who come in here are entrepreneurs. Most of them are real estate investors. But now what I thought would be extremely, and the community has been asking me these questions. And I like to go straight to the source. Like I said, I'm, always, I'm as good as my resources. And I think they need to hear it from the horse's mouth. So, Will, why don't you tell a little bit about the people, the people who may or may, may, or may not know you and they haven't gotten heard about your book, haven't seen you on social media. I know you're big in that. You're very involved in the community. Why don't you look, tell us a little bit about who you are, Will, how you even got into uh, what I call yourself is the, the credit king, the credit strategic <laughs> strate strategist, I should say, uh, subject matter expert. Tell us how that even came about, man, and so we can All get right. a little bit of background. Definitely. No, I appreciate that. So first, I always want to say I did not give myself the, the title of the credit king. <laughs> That's what <laughs> other people have kind of coined. But uh, I, I definitely have pushed the, 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 the hashtag or phrase credit is king which yeah. I recently just got trademarked. So I'm extremely excited. Congratulations. About ownership. Thank you. But uh, how I got into the space is really just a need. It started out as a need. Uh, you know, as I was growing up in my, my mid twenties, I was starting to find out credit was pretty much needed for everything we do in our day to day life. But it was also that one thing that we were never taught as children. And so uh, coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, moving to Las Vegas in 2005, Prior to moving to Las Vegas, I had a mentor who taught me, he said, well, eventually credit will become the new dollar. And, you know, uh, ironically, he was actually a real estate investor as well as a real estate attorney. So he knew the value of credit way back then. And so I didn't understand what he meant by that at the time when I moved to Las Vegas, quickly found out, you know, try renting an apartment with bad credit, try buying a car with bad credit. You know, you're putting three times the deposit down, you're putting, you know, uh, you have an interest rate on a vehicle of 29%. And so uh, I just knew I had to do something because I, I was at a place in my life where I couldn't even rent an apartment. My credit was so horrible. And I ended up having to go and rent what they call a weekly. Basically, you pay by the weekend. As long as you can afford it, they let anybody stay there. And so I just kind of took that as some motivation because I remember my, the individual I, I called him my mentor dropped that gem on me uh, prior to moving to Las Vegas. So I wanted to just kind of figure out what is this credit thing that keeps being a hindrance to me. And so took it upon myself really just to learn as much as I can about credit. I will go to the library and rent books, uh, rent CDs. A lot of people probably don't even know what a CD is nowadays. <laughs> and so uh, couldn't afford the internet. So I remember I would go to the UNLV campus and they had internet cafes. This was before Google was as big and as popular as it is today. And so really just started learning about credit, why it was important, and then starting to work on what I had to do to restore and repair my own. And a lot of it was just a lack of information I've had and a lack of understanding being financially responsible. 
you know, I can remember being in my early 20s getting that credit card, not, you know, making my payments on time or overspending or, you know, no one taught me about budgeting and all of these things. So it was really just a, a testament to me not being properly equipped about understanding how all of that worked. And so fast forward two years from that point, uh, was able to get my credit in position, uh, you know, was able to buy a vehicle on my own without a co-signer. That was a major feat for me. You know, I mean, I was 26 years old looking for a co-signer. And I was like, I got, something has to change. You know, was able to finally get an apartment uh, in a decent neighborhood. And so a light bulb just kind of went off. And I was like, you know what, if this information was of value to me, I'm sure others could benefit from this because no one was talking about it. So obviously I'm like, a lot of people must not know about it. And so I didn't really get into it as a business per se. I just wanted to share, you know, what was exciting for me. You know, it's kind of like when you go and watch a good movie, you're going to go and tell everybody to go watch the movie. They're not sending you a check. That's how I was when I started to learn about credit. And it just kind of manifested and formed into it becoming a business, really just as my passion of wanting to educate people about it. And so uh, that's kind of how I got into space, you know, fast forward from there, uh, you know, was able to start my, you know, well, I had multiple companies that failed, but eventually was able to start a business in a space of educating people on credit, uh, eventually partner with uh, my business partner, Jay Morrison, uh, which, you know, uh, he's the founder and CEO of the Jay Morrison Academy. He brought me on as a credit mastery instructor. Uh, we've, you know, started several businesses together. I have my own parent company, which I'm the founder and owner of, We Management Services, uh, also two-time author now. Uh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, and then as well as my newest book, Full-Time CEO, The Shit They Don't Tell You. And, uh, and that book more is for entrepreneurs and, you know, uh, anybody who's an aspiring entrepreneur, or even just a, I always say a book of life less lessons. You know, one of the things I love about entrepreneurship is that the, 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 the principles are parallel even to life. You know, and the reason I say that is because in business and being an entrepreneur, you have to have a certain mindset. To get through life, you need to have a certain mindset. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's pretty much what that book is about. And, you know, past three, four years, literally just been traveling the country, just preaching my message about what has helped me and, and been beneficial for me. And literally understanding all of this has changed the entire trajectory of my entire, uh, my entire life, my family's life, and I'm gonna say even the generations to come of, for sure. Always say the 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 uh, the cheat code of what I always say. What we found out about credit, and again, these are all things that we're not being taught, which I feel has always been a disservice to us. I first of all, uh, great great introduction, and I love the humbling approach too that you talked about uh, multiple failures because I think that's why we step in the lab. We try to identify when we're right, when we're wrong, and. Right. Another thing that I identified when you were speaking, you know, there's a few key things that stick out that I want to bring to light because we always talk about getting real tactical in the lab. And one yeah. thing I heard was was survival. Uh, and, and what I like when you're when you're running a business, you're 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 essentially half of the time scratching your own itch. And it sounded that you need you realized that having a good credit would or or have or let's say having poor credit limited you for your surviving needs from living in an apartment to 
to insurance. And I want to dive a little bit deep about that and take a step back because I don't want that to, to, I think sometimes we either we're not educated about it, which you preach a lot about, but we're actually, we don't even realize the impact that a credit score can have, whether you're an employee, an entrepreneur like you were. So do you want to bring that back out to light? Because I know you've covered a lot about that. And I want to take a step back on the survival point. That's really important oh, to bring out. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I'm always talking about how uh, credit or just understanding the power of credit. So the first thing I always say is that credit is merely a tool. I think that a lot of times we've been done of disservice because we've been taught and we have gurus and pundits who tell you that credit is bad and it's evil. And I tell people, first of all, it's not for everybody. No, everything isn't for everybody. And I, and I get that. But for those who need tools to survive in life, it can be a great uh, you know, uh, uh, instrument for you. No different than if you're a contractor, you need tools. If you're a barber or a hairstylist, you need tools. And so credit is that tool. One, credit, your credit score can determine the school zone your kids go to school in. You know, I, I, I have spoken with different parents who couldn't rent an instrument for their child because their credit score was, you know, in, in shambles. Yeah. You know, your credit score dictates your insurance rate. Yeah, it has a domino effect for sure. Yeah. A domino effect. You know, I even talk about just the whole judicial system and how, you know, understanding that the judicial system is really just a, it's a money pit. And what I mean by that is setting these high bails for people who can't get out. And I know people who had to sit in jail because they can't come up with five, six, seven hundred dollars to post bail. Imagine if you had a credit card to be able to at least cover the bail cost. You know, I've had. Uh, uh, clients who've had to leverage their credit to be able to cover medical expenses, you know? And so it's so much bigger than just uh, looking at it from a standpoint of being able to buy a house and get a credit card to go shopping and all of that. It, it, it does have a certain undertaking uh, benefit of, like you say, survival. And so those are the things that I'm trying to get people to understand because, you know, it, it's, it's a reason why, you know, in the, in the black and in, in minority communities, 55% of us are either underbank or under economically educated. And what are our resources? We'll go to the pawn shop and pawn, you know, grandma's, you know, priceless jewelry. We'll go to the payday loan store and take out a high interest three to a thousand percent payday loan. And so by not understanding these things, they're preying on the lack of information and education of our financial literacy. So it, it is life or death for us. Yeah. And, that's and, really how I like to educate people on that. Yeah, and I and I love how you know I've, I've obviously consumed a lot of your content, and I've been following you closely. And I like how you're you're talking about it's a it's a tool that you you usually use it. It's a lifeline of your business for entrepreneurs, and it's a tool that again can be detrimental to some folks if they don't understand it, but at the same time beneficial to other folks who understand how to have that emergency credit usage available to them. Uh, and I really like that. And and the way I want to bring this full circle is let's circle back a bit because maybe. There's folks who are listening right now and they're like, all right, cool. I, I know credit. I see my FICO score here and there, you know, through the banks. And actually, I have a question about that later on when we get into the Mythbuster section about if those are very accurate or not. But that's just level set for everybody because I know you cover this and everyone should follow your, your content and your book because you do a really good uh, – uh, give a really good high-level introduction of what a credit score is, but can you maybe just break it down for, for someone who's tuning in and say, like, all right, let, let me, let me take this seriously. What is a credit score made of? 
talk about maybe the, the different levels, the payment history, credit utilization, a little bit at a high level, because we know we can get in depth. Absolutely. So yeah. in layman's terms, credit is really just the ability to make payments over time. Yeah. But essentially, what is a credit score or what makes up a credit score? They call it the pie chart. It's made up of five components. And if one could just focus on understanding how to just hone in on uh, staying within the parameters of what makes up the credit score, the profile will always be strong. And when I always say it's not about the score, it's the profile. When I break that down, that's people get it. It's, it's like an aha moment. So the first component, 35% of our scores is made up of payment history, which is the largest component of what makes up a credit score. That payment history means that uh, as you're making your payments on your bills, anything that's reporting on your credit report. So if you have an auto loan, you have a mortgage, you have student loan debt, you have a credit card, anything that's reporting, you always want to make sure that you're keeping up with those payments. Now, one late payment can drop a score 50 to 150 points. So it's extremely important that we stay on top of our payment history because I've seen people get a 150-point loss because they forgot to make a $15 credit card payment. Mm -hmm. So I'm always telling people, hey, set your bills up on auto pay, of course, if you have it within your budget. I understand life happens, but we want to try to be as preventative as possible. You know, that's where the saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Yes, you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, we want to set our bills up on auto pay to prevent those things from being detrimental to our credit score. So, so that's payment. That's that's payment history. And you said thirty five percent. And I don't yes. think folks realize this because it's it's fascinating that we're having this conversation. Because in my world, in the real estate space, I am a licensed broker as well. I've helped folks get into even first time home buyers, and I don't even think they realize. And this is why I love having you here. They realize this. I've had someone tell me, "Yeah, I missed a couple payments here and there." I'm like, "No, this is a big deal. Like this that's is thirty five percent." And so this is why I love having you on. And and again, this again, this was someone in our community, and 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 I think it's so important that we, we start putting it out there of the importance of it. So that's 35%. Tell me about another, another big chunk that I know you, you often discuss about uh, um, for a credit score. Correct. 30% or the, the next largest component, 30% is credit usage. Okay. And now credit usage is only tied to revolving credit. Now, for those who may not know what revolving credit is, there's two types of credit that reports on our credit reports. We have installment and revolving. Now, installment is anything with a fixed payment, meaning like an auto loan, a mortgage, if that's reported, if you have a mortgage, if you have student loan debt, a fixed payment, meaning no matter what, that payment will stay the same, of course, unless you refinance. Revolving credit is anything with a revolving balance, i.e. a credit card or a department store card. And so anytime you go over 30% of the, of the, the, the total credit limit, so for example, if you have a $1,000 credit card, if you go over $300 of that credit limit, your score will start to decrease, which is why I tell people having very little credit actually could be a detriment to you because I've seen people who have one credit card for 300 bucks, they'll spend $299 of that. They're at a 99% credit usage. Yes. Their score just tanked 100 plus points. They didn't get any collection accounts. They have no late payments, but their scores are in the 500s and they don't know why. And it's a lot of times because they don't have enough credit. And so going back to the credit is just a tool. Typically, when we're in a situation where life happens, in a case in point, let's say you got to replace your brakes on your vehicle and you don't have cash in a bank. Typically, what is someone going to use? A credit card. Right. 
If you have a credit card for a thousand bucks and the break job costs 700, you're now at 70% usage. Your score just dropped. So I always tell people as a lifeline, you know, in case of emergency break glass, I recommend having access to at least five to $10,000 worth of credit. Yeah. And let me, yeah, let, and, and I'm glad you're there. And I want to, you're making great points. I want to make sure some don't get lost in there. Uh, I want to piggyback them. When, when you, let's say I do have a, you know, a, a credit limit of 300, which is very low. And you're saying that, you know, if I spend 250, right, I'm already to the point where like you're in the nineties, right? You've, you're almost at a hundred percent utilization rate at that point, right. whatever, whatever that amount would be. Are you saying that as soon, if I go back home that day and I pay it off, that I'm still going to get dinged for having you use that? Or are you saying it's even, it's holding that amount on there? Cause I think folks are going to have that question and ask, Oh shoot. So yeah, I'd like to know what you think on that. So this is where I try to educate clients to understand their statement dates on their credit cards. So typically that payment or that balance won't post until the statement date. So let's say if I go and swipe 250 today, mm-hmm. but my statement date isn't until the 20th of the month, if I pay that balance off before the 20th, it's not going to even show or reflect. And so fantastic. we have to understand what our statement dates are. Now, on the flip side of that, understanding if you miss that statement date and the statement date usually is about three, four days after the due date, meaning you have the, the, the bill is due on the 15th. The, the bank submits that on the statement date to the credit bureaus. Now let's say for whatever you missed the payment date on the 15th, keep in mind, all, all banks and lenders have what are called grace periods. So I recommend everybody know what their grace period is on that account because Sometimes people will get a late payment or they beat themselves up. And I always tell people it's not the end of the world. And just know if you're one day behind, it may not post. Just make sure you pay it the next day. But you got to know what that grace period is on that account. And most banks have a grace period of anywhere between five to t- as many as 27 days. And that's really important to know because life can happen. I get it. You know, I've seen people where they have a they pay a card off, but then the bank will send out an interest statement of like 70 cents and they forget to pay that and they'll post a late payment. So wow. we got to make sure that we're just always on top of our, yeah. you know, being doing our due diligence. Yeah. And, and, sure and that, you know, everything going on with our accounts. And I'm glad you said that. Cause I'm, I'm, we're a bigger friend. And again, even in real estate or any, anyone entrepreneurship, anyone in your day to day to, cure the problems that are putting on a bandaid. And you said a key thing, right? You said automatic payment. You know, is that not in the solution to that? Or why would someone not set up automatic payment? Is that something that you're seeing folks are not doing? Maybe that's the key takeaway here. So a couple of things that I just see just within a consensus. And I even think about sometimes how my own mind thinks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people just don't like the act of paying bills, (laughs) you know, money coming in, it's hard to see it going yeah, out. Go out. Go out. Sometimes it's really just a mental thing. The psychological. Yeah. It's really okay. psychological. So sometimes that's hard for people to make that paradigm shift. They want to be so in control that I tell them, don't let that be the detriment of you. Or that maybe they just have, they don't have enough money coming in. They have more month at the end of their money. And so this is where possibly we got to look at your budget. You know, if you don't have enough, if you're you know, a uh, 600, a couple hundred bucks short of paying all your bills every month, but you got a $700 cable bill or whatever, 
maybe we need to look at some priorities. So typically it's one or the other. Sometimes it's just a psychological thing. And sometimes people just really don't have the money or they scared their account will go overdraft. So they don't want to, you know, the way their payments, their payment, their company pays, uh, what is it called? Paychecks versus how they pay their bill dates and all of that may be out of whack. But then again, I still recommend, and this is why I tell people, at least set it up for auto pay for the minimum. And so it may just be a $15 payment, just pay the minimum. And then if you can pay anything above and beyond that, you know, you could do that manually. So it'll just, I, I, I do that for a peace of mind. Right. And typically once I sit down with clients and we really go through that game plan, it, it does give them that peace of mind that to know at least my bills will be paid on time every month. I may not have much money at the end of the month or, you know, uh, I don't have to worry about, you know, being on vacation, I forget to submit a payment because I've seen that happen. So, yeah, that yeah. auto bill pay makes a huge difference. Definitely, definitely. And we're going to get into that because we have a section specifically designed for you called Triple WD, What Would Will Do? And <laughs> I'm very curious as to hear some, some of the things that you'll say. But let's, we, this is what we covered so far. We talked about payment history, credit utilization. Is there anything else, if I want to cover this at a high level, that I should keep in mind as far as, uh, you know, people are focused on that credit score and I think it's a good measure baseline. So what else could I maybe take into account? Uh, when yeah, I'm just the last three components and we could breeze through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15% is your length of credit history, mm-hmm. uh, which means that the age of your actual credit file, a lot of times people will say, well, I don't have any late payments. My usage is low, but my score isn't strong enough. That's because their age of file isn't strong enough. Typically the, the more seasoned your credit file is, the stronger your score. So when people say, Hey, I'm at a 700. How do I get to an 800? A lot of time it's just letting that file age. Mm. And so that's really important. That makes up 15% of our score. Is there any factors? Will, sorry to cut you off. Will, is there any factors that you can do? It sounds like that's more of a passive let time pass. Can you do anything like authorized users or anything? Would that even help you with the length of credit history run or no? Not necessarily because I only recommend authorized users when a person is utilizing that as a strategy for an end goal. So like if I'm going to the bank and trying to get some funding and I want to show more seasoned credit accounts on my credit report, I would add an authorized user or I need to show high limits. But as far or I'm a first time home buyer, I have no credit history and I add, you know, some lenders will let you add on some authorized users to at least be able to get the two to three trade lines minimum needed to qualify for a mortgage. But I never recommend people adding trade lines just frivolously, especially if they have to pay for them. But if you have a family member or a friend who's going to add it on for you for free, that's cool. But it doesn't help you with the seasoning or the length of credit history long term. No, it does not. Okay, excellent. So that was, uh, uh, that was a length of credit history. And then you said, I think there was two more that you wanted to yes. cover. Uh, 10% is credit mixture, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, you have an installment and revolving, you know, good credit mix. And then uh, new credit is the last 10%. So the credit algorithm wants to see you are getting new credit. Now, not just going on a binge and getting credit continuously and all the time, but you, you know, sporadically, you know, always applying for something when needed. Uh, That also plays a role. Great. And what's a good tactical window? Uh, again, and every time I say this, well, Will has been doing this for years. So you should definitely go deeper on his content and don't take it face value. But I like giving people kind of tactical 
kind of insights as may, they might be driving somewhere, they might be listening to this, what would be a good window for them to look into? Is it every six months? Maybe I should, even if I, because you talk about using it as a lifeline. So is it six months, four or three, you, do, you have a number for folks who might be listening and be like, oh, maybe I should increase my credit limit, credit limit maybe so I could you know, use more later. So getting more credit is really based, always based upon whatever their goal is. So for example, kind of segueing a little bit off of this topic, but you have some gurus and pundits and influencers who say, don't use credit. And I say, you know what, if you want to live off the grid, yes, that's for you. <laughs> but that's not the case for our narrative. And so right. you take someone who's a real estate investor, credit is the lifeline for an investor, just like an entrepreneur. Right. And so being able to leverage my credit, yeah, being able to go and ask for credit limit increases, I always say, you know, minimum 90 to 106, 120 days, you know, you can ask for, you know, request a credit limit increase at that frequency. Mm-hmm. And is this different? That's literally the perfect segue. That's what I was going to ask you. You said every bank is different for those of you who might have, might have not caught that. And the question is, are, are people sometimes not, or are we afraid to ask our bank who's supposed to be our friend? Like, do you have, it, it, do you see that, there is an opportunity for us to pick up the phone calls and ask, you know, what would be a good time for me to increase my limit? Are these conversations you've had with your banks and, and, and is this something you want to drop to the community and maybe advise them to even use their banks and have that communication? Absolutely. So again, mm-hmm. and I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people are scared to ask for money. And I think it's so much deeper than that. And that's because in our community, unfortunately, we don't like to talk about money. You know, like why wouldn't I want to, you know, celebrate you and your successes because you did a million dollars in revenue last right, year. Right, right. We don't like to have those conversations. Instead, we'll go brag on a rapper who don't care about our well-being, <laughs> you know, or the entertainer and different yeah. things like that. So that's, I think, what it boils down to. And so I always tell people, when you're going to ask in the bank for some money, if you need 10000 ask for thirty, because they may not give you the thirty, but they come back at fifteen, Because at 10, now you put yourself at a short hole because you may need 12000 And so just understanding like the banks are put in place for us to use their money because essentially all what they're, what what they do with our money is they lend it out. So why not we leverage our money we're putting and giving to them anyway, so we can go out and make investments and, and, and and make a dividend off of the money that is rightfully ours anyway. And so we, it all starts with the paradigm shift of how we look at banks, how we look at credit, how we look at money, finances, how to, how we look at leveraging credit. It, it, it literally starts with a different mindset. But yeah, we cannot be scared to ask the banks for the money. That's uh, the I, easiest part to get. What's, what's the ironic part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bank is supposed to be your friend, just just like the the, the mortgage lenders are, and that's why. They, right. they, yeah, so that's interesting. And honestly, I, I want to just touch on that real quick. I, I think it's so interesting you say that because I always have this conversation, right? You know, I've worked W two, I've owned my business, but I feel like there's there is a culture on the more on the entrepreneurial side where you know I'm I'm part of some pretty humbling masterminds, and it's like people are open to talk there about numbers. People are doing things. And I think it's just a kind of changing the culture of, you know, you should be able to, to have these conversations about money because that's how you're able to learn. Oh, this is how wills get money. I should think about that. But when we don't talk about money, we don't talk about leverage. We don't talk about your credit score. You know, you don't come from a humble place. My credit score is low. I want to learn how I can make it better. Then how can you better yourself? So, so I think that that's, 
it all goes back to change the culture, man. And I'm sure that's why we're both in the lab right here, which I really appreciate. Um, so, so let's get a little uh, tactical. I want to respect your time. Let's get real, real granular uh, and, and tactical. A lot of the questions people ask are, are, are somewhere along the lines of, all right, well, I heard what you said. I get it. Credit score is important. But, you know, you said credit is king, but also heard cash is king. So if I'm trying to right now, let's say, save up to get into a property, which we know is a good, good asset to have, depending on how you use it, investment property, et cetera, should I focus on paying off my credit card? Because you mentioned it took you a two-year process. Or should I focus on saving cash for a down payment? I- I'm confused, Will. What, what do I do? What comes first? What? So we'll talk about this from an investment standpoint. Mm. So now the first thing I always say when people say, well, cash is king and I got cash, this, that, and the third, I'm like, okay, show me one person besides, you know, the sheiks in Dubai who have unlimited supply of cash. And I'll wait. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wait. But I can show you an entire community of individuals who have unlimited access to credit. You'll, you cannot run out of credit because guess what? Even if I'm at my capacity of what the banks can lend me, I can go and start another business and start get, borrowing money against that company. Or I can create a credit partner and we duplicate what we just did with myself. So it's an endless process. But whatever I have in the bank, once that runs out, I can't do anything anymore. I can't go and invest in any more properties. And so from an investing standpoint, I, I, I would always recommend tapping into the bank's money, because one, um, in the event if something happens, and because you will take L's in business. I mean, we all have. I put up 50, 60, 100,000 or whatever. If that deal goes bad, it's hard to recoup 50, $60,000. Plus, how long would it take the average person to save 50 grand? I can go and get a $50,000 worth of credit within the next 30 days. So, my starting, I can get out the gate a lot quicker from an investing standpoint. Like I talked, I, I, I remember sharing this story with one of my friends about credit and it literally changed his whole mindset. And he grew his real estate portfolio within two years from having three properties to now he's at about 27 properties in a three year period. And he was talking with one of his aunts and his aunt was sitting there talking about, Hey, you know, nephew, I'm not into that credit thing, but you know, I have, 300 some thousand saved in my 401k and I'm going to use that and do whatever, whatever. He said, you know what, auntie, that's great. How long did it take you to build that up? She was like, I've been working at a company for 45 years. So it took me 45 years. She was, he was like, you know what, that's, and I respect that, but guess what? I just was able to get access to 300,000 worth of credit in the past six months. Yeah. Leverage, leverage, leverage. And so understanding this is why, we have to understand why credit can be powerful. Mm-hmm. And like I tell people, yeah, it's not for everybody. But if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an investor, and you're, trying to, you're looking to create some form of wealth. I mean, we, we're showing people who literally come from zero, nothing, and positioning them to be able to invest in their first investment property, invest in that business that they've always dreamed about, all by leveraging their credit. And they're not doing it in a frivolous manner. They're actually profiting you know, once they get positioned, because again, I always tell people, you still have to educate yourself in what it is you're doing. Yeah. You know, can't go get a bunch of credit and just, you know, frivolously go do something because you still got to service the debt. So I just tell people, again, it's merely that tool, but it gives you an opportunity to scale faster 
for my existing entrepreneurs and investors. It gives you the opportunity to start from nothing. And, 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 and I mean, it's just so many different scenarios that we've seen. In the yeah. Okay, great. So, so that, that's great insight because I think that definitely projects the long-term goal of what any investor and person should be working on. Um, but I, I guess uh, another question to piggyback the last comment is, um, let's say right now, you know, I have $10,000 in cash and I also have, um, let's say, uh, $10,000 in revolving credit. Um, right. That And obviously, I like what you talk about, the, the interest that you're really paying on that 10000 is really where the risk is. But I'm looking at it as, okay, I have 10000 and I'm that's cash that I can actually use to put on a down payment to then um, get, a, get a loan, obviously, right? To get a 20, maybe it's 20% down, maybe it's an FHA loan, whatever that is. Would you advise that person to um, focus on paying that off, right? And then remake that down payment money again after they've paid off that ten thousand revolving credit because I guess you're thinking that their thirty year mortgage is their interest might be lower now that they have a higher credit score or would you advise that person? Uh, I guess I'm curious what should one do first? You know because I, I get those questions all the time. Like I have the money to make a down payment, I'm probably gonna get a bad interest rate on it, but it's money that's there for me to leverage my money. Or should I just focus on paying off this ten thousand that might take me two years based on what I'm making? What's a good What's a good strategy to to like? What would Will do? Right. So I'm always gonna look at what my return on my investment is first. Okay. So me personally, I'm one of the mindset, and this is what I've learned just from my wealthy mentors you want to always be as liquid as possible because you never know what can happen. So for prime example, I see this happen a lot with newer investors. You take the 10,000 cash, you go and do a deal for real estate. The contractor underbids the rehab. You're out of money. What do you do? (laughs) You know, but at least if I use my credit first and then the contractor underbids the rehab, I can still use that cash as a in case emergency break glass. Mm-hmm. Or guess what? I can go to the bank and ask for more credit. And, mm-hmm. and so it's again, that's the tool, but it all boils down to we don't have enough strategy. See, yeah. we think because we think we can throw money at everything, and that's not the case. You know, I was watching something very interesting on it's a TV show called the uh, uh, Back in the Game with Alex Rodriguez, mm-hmm. where he goes and helps yeah. uh, entire yeah. professionals. Yep. And I was watching one with Evander Holyfield. He made 200 plus million dollars in his career. And he broke. So I tell everybody, eventually you will run out of cash. Yeah. But when you understand the power of leveraging credit, like the Robert Kiyosaki's and the, the super wealthy individuals, I mean, they're prime example, 45. He's the epitome of leverage. He mastered and wrote the books on leverage. And yep. so I'm always just telling people, it's just understanding the strategies behind on how to properly leverage the capital. And I get it. It doesn't now leveraging doesn't mean you're going to have your success rate is going to be any higher, but always to use the scenario. If I lose 50,000 on a bad deal in cash, how long would it take me to save another 50,000? Right. But if I, if it goes bad in credit, yeah, my credit would be bruised, battered, but guess what? I can always restore my credit. But then not only that, guess what? Because I've been studying the teachings of understanding the power of credit partners, my business doesn't have to stop. I can you put my credit partner in position and we can still continue and commence and do business. Right. So again, it's about strategy.
strategies. And that's why they say, you know, your check or your value, how you make your money is a direct reflection of your value in the marketplace. So a lot of times we think going and getting more degrees gets us more money. And that's not true. We have to, we have to understand value. And a lot of times those values understanding more strategies, the more strategies you understand, you'll always be able to create wealth of some magnitude or, you know, wherever it ranges on the Richter scale. And wealth doesn't always mean having millions and billions. To, to one, wealth could be just having a portfolio of $100,000 every single year. That's right. what somebody. So it's, it's many different scales. But yeah, I would always leverage my credit first because you will run out of cash. I mean, we've seen it with the athletes and the singers who've had, who they thought was unlimited resources of, of, of cash, but it, it never plays out like that. That, that's interesting because I think you took this conversation to even a deeper place. You're, you're talking about, you know, using cash to leverage credit, which which just shows you how they're they're. they're I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I'm understanding it. Of it's a it's a kind of symbiotic relationship that it's not one or the other, but you got to learn how to actually use both to to 100%. your advantage. I, um, I call it hedging your money. Is yeah. essentially what I like yeah. to call. It. Yeah, you can't have one without the other, and it's really important to take care of both, it sounds like. Um, uh, okay, excellent. So uh, let's get into a quick myth buster. So I guess what is the biggest misconception about credit that you think is out there? That it's illegal. <laughs> I used to hear that all the time. Wow. But it, it, there's laws put in place for us as consumers. You have the right to dispute anything reporting inaccurately, incomplete on your credit report. And so... Yes, you may owe that debt, but that doesn't mean you can't dispute it because guess what? They may be reporting the information inaccurately, meaning you may owe them $527, but they say you owe $550, and that's because a debt buyer bought it and they're charging interest on that debt you just bought. You can dispute that information because that information is being reported inaccurately. And so because most people do nothing or they try to avoid it or they just pay it because they're scared, like, what are you scared for? We need to understand this information so now you can address it head on. So if they're reporting that information inaccurately, you can dispute that debt. You don't have to play the seven-year game, meaning you let it sit on your credit for seven years and hope it falls off. You can dispute that information. Now, it doesn't mean if it comes off, you don't owe the debt. Mm. It just means that from a credit standpoint, which we just addressed at the top of this you know, uh, broadcast that your credit is literally the lifeline to you, uh, then at least you can still progress in the realms of what you may need your credit for. So uh, that's probably one of the biggest myths that people think that credit repair is some illegal backdoor uh, undermined system that's going on. And that is so not the case. Yeah. Okay, excellent. And, and so what you've looked at so many different, you've helped so many folks out, businesses, individuals, what is the the one thing that you consistently see that, that is often overlooked? Is there think, a specific thing that pops to mind for you that, that could bring us some light to, to pay, start paying attention to? I think the biggest thing that I see is just that people think when their credit is bad or if something bad happens to it, it's the end of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not. And I see so many people like they'll get a late payment and they'll give up. I've literally had clients who thought about filing bankruptcy because they got one late payment. And so a lot of it is because we're not knowledgeable. We haven't been educated that no matter what happens, you can always repair it. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of the mindset that you have to have. Like, you know, just like in business and entrepreneurship, you're going to have, you, you're going to fail at something. 
do you just give up in life? No, you got to get back out there. And yeah, it may take you a little time to adjust to come out of that old situation. Same thing about credit. Yeah, it may take me eight months to repair. It may take me two years to repair it. But understand that life doesn't have to stop. So I would probably say that's the biggest thing that sticks out is that when people credit gets tarnished, they think it's the end of the world. Or like you and I discussed previously, we're scared to talk about credit. Yeah. It's almost like a taboo, you know, and understand that I think once we understand the power of it and start addressing it head on, we can have a different outlook on the power of it and how to look, use it, how to leverage it, and even start educating our children on credit as, at a younger age. You know, we shouldn't teach our children about credit once their credit gets bad. Yeah. We need to teach them about it before they even get to that point. Yeah, or, or even, uh, you know, that's one thing when I was even in school, you know, I was using a debit card. And why was I using a debit card? I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't and, and it's a shame. You said this in one of your videos. You talked about how, like, I took economics, right? You, you said that, and they don't cover this, right? And that's another no, conversation, all. right? Uh, but I think even starting off early, and I really appreciate you, uh, you, you pointing that on one of the videos that even as early as like 15 or 16 years old, yeah, having a, uh, yeah, like a, an authorized top. user. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good for the generation, for the culture, man. That's a, we'll definitely have to get into that. Uh, so uh, real quick, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, I want you to touch on this a little bit, because I think you come from that cloth, obviously, and you're, you have a better lens for us, the, the, so some people out there who are seen as the, the prey. What are your thoughts on debt consolidation? In, in, in tools that are out there to, to help people? Is it really good for them or should they just stick to the basics? Yeah, so when people say the term debt consolidation, first mm -hmm. we want to be very explicit of their version of what debt consolidation is. And so there are debt consolidation companies. Those I would say run away from them like the plague because what they do is, is like, so you have an, a massive debt and you don't know what to do. You go to this company and their whole goal is, is they'll tell you to miss payments, let the accounts go delinquent, and then they'll go in and try to negotiate the interest rates. And then now you're paying this company who is paying the, the creditors for you, but you're in that program for five to seven years and you're in worse shape than when you first started. I tell people, if you're going to do that, you might as well consider looking at bankruptcy. Because if you have the bankruptcy, the debt is clean. But your credit is still need to be repaired. So now, what I tell people to look at possibly as a strategy, quote unquote, debt consolidation, is that you can go and get what's called like a personal installment loan. Meaning, you can get a loan to pay off all the high interest debt that you have, and then you have one payment. Uh, or I've helped clients where they may refinance their house or get a home equity line of credit and the home equity line of credit interest rate is, is cheap enough to cover, to bring their overall debt right. payments down within that household. Yep, so yep. again, but it all boils down to strategy. So typically when I sit down with a client, we look at all their options, what they potentially have access to. And the main goal is, is and I always say this, even in business, you always want to find the cheaper money. So if you got a bunch of high interest debt and your average interest rate is 15%, but we can get a home equity line of credit and that money is locked in for the next 30 years at 5% and you can get that and pay off everything else, that's the strategy that we can do. That's a form of consolidation that I try to instruct people to do.
some company where they're going to tell you to go delinquent and default and you know all that other stuff that that's fantastic and and i appreciate you sharing that because i think there's a lot of noise out there and and it's good to know that there's again this is a shameless plug but uh what is it is it easy funding for you uh where folks can can reach out yeah and 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 get some professionals that have your best interest to, to help you out so so that's really cool uh real quick section right here uh the wwd uh, what would you do? So I know this this you, this will be valuable for us, uh, Will, because you're an entrepreneur as well, and you actually service those in need. Uh, and for us, it's you know, as entrepreneur, we know there's risk involved, but but sometimes we're in this uh, dilemma where we might think, okay, what should we do? So you're an entrepreneur, you know that you know executing the right business plan can make you a lot of money uh, that will allow you to pay off those loans without, you know, blinking, you know, you can make, get a higher return with this idea that you have with the proper execution. Um, however, you do have revolving credit. So does Will use his money to invest in his business or does Will rather focus on paying off his credit cards so that maybe later on his, he can get a better business loan or maybe does Will do both simultaneously? Good question. So it depends on what my goal is at that time, but more often than not, I'm going to always leverage my credit to invest in something because it's going to give me another vehicle or another stream of income. And so that's what I'm looking at is how can I leverage my credit to create other sources of income? Because the more income I have is going to service the debt plus be able to help me pay off whatever existing bills or debt I have anyway. So it really just depends on what my long-term and short-term goal is. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. I think that's a great answer. Thank you. And then, uh, um, I think there's this there's folks who, are, who also have this question. Uh, I pay more than my minimum, but I'm also trying to stock up and save so that if another emergency comes up, I can use the cash and not get into more debt uh, because that's how I got into the hole in the first place. What right. would you say to someone like that? Are they looking at it the right way to question. stack? Yeah, I love that question. Well, the first thing is I, I can almost assure you they didn't have a plan mm-hmm. or they didn't have enough strategies put in place. And I say that because just because you invest in some doesn't mean that you have the right strategy. You know, I see people, for prime example, who invest in real estate and don't know how to evaluate a deal. Right. So just because you bought a property, but the property's not making you any money. And so that's what I look at. And so uh, going back to your initial question, that I'm always going to look at what my ROI is first. And so depending on my cheaper money, that's what I'm going to focus on. So to answer your question, you say, do I use my money to pay off my debt or use it to invest? I'm, because I'm always going to bet on myself and I know my capabilities, I would rather take that risk because I tell people, you risk going to work every day and that company shutting down. Then what do you do? Right. It's actually risky to, to, to depend on that consistent paycheck. It's, it's not it's riskier it's very to risky to be a W-2 employee. Income. Yeah. That's what I like to always say. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. Excellent. So if I'm looking at a competitor, I know easy funding is good money. They came in the lab, you know, we vetted them, you know, you guys are clean, but if you're looking at another company and what is the one thing you're looking at? If someone starts talking about credit repair, what is the one thing that you would like look at to vet that? Okay. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. You know, essentially your pitch to, 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 to our community. Like what is that one thing you would look at another company and say, Oh, that's probably no good for you. Uh, One is transparency of that company. uh, One of the things with our credit repair company is that uh, if we get you zero results in 90 days, we give you a hundred percent refund. And so we we offer that level of transparency. Secondly, uh, I mean, typically 
bad news travels faster than good news. Mm. And if a client, if a company has serviced enough individuals and they've been around for a while, typically if they were doing bad things or robbing people, as I always say, you can go on the internet any given time and find some negativity. Now I get it. Sometimes you're going to have some disgruntled individuals just because their level of expectation is like out of here. You can't please everybody, but typically you can see some of the transparency within that uh, individual, that company, see what their systems look like. Uh, You know, I, I judge companies based upon, you know, uh, do they have a phone number and an email? Can I get in touch with somebody? I mean, little bitty, I always say some common sense things, actually. And so it doesn't mean you have to go and do this huge vetting process, but, uh, and then even find out what their knowledge base is within that industry. You know, I know a lot of people who do credit repair, but they don't really understand credit. No, not to them, but finding out what their level of knowledge base is in whatever industry it is, whether it's a real estate investor, you're investing in somebody that offers stocks, trading, whatever, just, you know, find out what their level of, 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 of being able to articulate, okay, I'm investing my money with you. What does this do for me? Or if something, if this doesn't happen, what do we do here? You'd be surprised. A lot of people don't know how to convey to them, okay, if this didn't work, this is what we're going to do, or this yeah. is the reaction to this cause. And You'd be very surprised. A lot of people can't articulate that no matter what industry they're in. What a shame. All right. So fantastic. I think that was, that was a really good way to, 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 to put it together. Cause I think that's important. I think there's a problem out there of there's so much information now uh, yeah. that anybody can look like, you know, they're legit, Next. but you know what I mean? You <laughs> yeah. really got to be prepared. You talk about gurus all the time. And for me, my biggest thing is paradox of practice, right? Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you're a practitioner or you're just selling me. Yeah. So but obviously we, we got a practitioner in the building y'all. So y'all make sure you check right. out easy funding uh, real quick. Well, I re- want to respect your time. I want to make sure I get to the community. I got eight questions from the community, but before I want them to know a little bit more about you, it's a quick rapid fire question. that's on the fly right here. So basically you just one quick short answer, a hundred K in cash with a 500 square, uh, 500 uh, credit score or 50k in cash with a 700 credit score which one do you pick 50k cash 800 700 credit score whatever bet bet i like that he's, th- he's, he's thinking leverage folks all right uh pay 300 a month at the end of the month or pay 10 dollars every day on a revolving credit depending on how cheap the money is Ooh, okay so that's the main key takeaway roi depending on how cheap the money is okay bet uh refinance or heloc Mm, I like I like HELOCs because okay. it's an revolving line of credit. As I pay back into it, that money is available again. Once I pay the refinance off, I'm out of money. Bet. Got it. And you know, I know you got a real estate background as well. And I always ask this to my real estate investors who come in the lab. One 300-unit apartment or three apartments of 100 units? I'm doing both. <laughs> Getting greedy on me there, Will. Come on, baby. Oh man, I get that's the second time I got that answer. I like that. I like that. Abundance, abundance for sure. Absolutely. So, so definitely one that, is my name and the other one's <laughs> my credit partner name. <laughs> we leverage too, everything. Too, you know too slick, too slick, too slick. What's your favorite book? Obviously, we're gonna plug your two books in. What's your favorite book that's really inspired you? Man, the book that changed my entire life is how to deal, uh, how to win friends and influence people. Uh, probably was the first book I actually ever read as an adult because I always tell people when you're in business, you're in the people business. You have to know how to deal with people and you have to be likable. People got to trust you. They got to know you. And that book really does a really good job of just breaking down on how to deal with people, their personalities, dealing with people and 
showing them what's in it for them. Because yeah. I think a lot of times in business, we're always trying to position a deal or a sale to benefit just us. Like, right. no, I want to make sure that this is a win for you first. And the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, has that, that changed my entire mindset. And I mean, I, I, was, a, I was a dude from, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I thought Tim's were dress shoes. <laughs> you know, so my whole mindset was different back then. And, yeah. and getting that book really changed my outlook on dealing with people. I love that because you talked in the beginning of our show how the the principles are uh, uh, parallel to life and and um, I, I definitely uh, can tell and, and I know this for a fact that uh, uh, you as yourself are a reflection of your business um, and and it's really uh, really important that that we invest in ourselves to reflect that out to what we're putting out. So good for you. Uh, best tool that serves you uh, every day. Say that again. Best tool or application that uh, helps you excel throughout your day. Oh, my mind, because you got to be a critical thinker, you know, as an, as an entrepreneur, it's really the ability to undertake situations, you know, and so mm-hmm. my mind gets me out of a lot of situations because sometimes you got to take a step back and think. That's dope, man. Uh, second person who said that actually, so that's, a, it's a, we always have people really invest in themselves. I like that. Uh, the best habit that serves you every day? Discipline. Got to be disciplined no matter what it is you're trying to get your your fitness goals, you're trying to get your financial goals, uh, whatever you're doing in life, discipline is going to be that undertone that you have to have. Cause it's very easy to wake up and say, Oh, it's raining outside. I don't want to do this. Or, yeah. Oh gosh, my leg hurt. Uh, or, you know, I'm not like, no, like this is do or die for me. Yeah. You know, and that's really how I look at everything in life that, you know, I've seen the bottom. I've been homeless. I've slept in my car. I've eaten cereal for dinner for, six months straight so no i never want to be in that position again i respect that i respect that um if you had a one superpower in your in your business or in your life what would you pick say that repeat that question if you had a one superpower in your business uh what would it be oh to put everybody in position put everybody in position. Everybody wants to be in position absolutely interesting uh, because it's enough of, it's, it's enough for everybody to eat and that's always mm-hmm. been the model around my team that's admirable, man. That's admirable. Uh, describe a successful business owner in one word. Which one would you pick? Hmm. Describe a successful business owner. Uh, I would say the word would be visionary. Mm. You got to be a visionary. You got to have an imagination. You got to think big, you know. And anytime I'm talking about success, it's never about money. You know, it's just about you know, I always say success is, is it's, it's, it's daily events. It's, it's every day. Right. And so, uh, but yeah, I would definitely say visionary. You have to, you got to think big. Excellent. Excellent. All right. We got, uh, we got, you know, eight questions from the community here. Uh, real quick, North Carolina, uh, there's a question. I'm not sure that this is going to tie into you, but can you put a tenant into collections as a landlord? How are individuals filed to collections for not making payments? I'm not sure yeah. that is that something you know. Yeah. yeah, basically through an eviction process. Okay. So uh, do you have to be a person or a business entity? or? Uh, typically, uh, so essentially you could send anybody to collections. Like if really? I borrowed a thousand bucks from you and I didn't pay you back, I could send you the collections. You just have to find com- there are collection companies out there that mm-hmm. can that buy debt. And oh. if I sell that debt to that company, 
and they collect, then we just have to split a percentage of it. But you could literally send anybody to collect them. As I did not know that. Yeah, you just got to follow the paperwork. Absolutely. So wow. That's crazy. So I could literally do it to like, hey, man, you owe me money. You lost the bet. <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. It's the way around everything. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. What a crazy, what a crazy world. All right. But that's good. It's good to know from uh, obviously from a business operations perspective. Okay. We got a question here. Jersey City. Uh, uh, do you have any techniques for getting into no interest credit lines? Like how a lot of credit cards do no interest balance transfers? How can people find more of those? So typically, uh, banks only offer no interest on introductory rates, which means eventually, like eighteen months, you yeah. know, AP, yeah. Now you can always continually apply for new introductory rate cards and do balance transfers. Uh, that can get a bit tedious, and so my thing is, is I always tell people that when you understand where, how your money works in the ROI, I'm not paying as much to the interest rate on revolving credit because I'm not making a minimum payment for 30 years. So if I'm doing a real estate deal and I use my revolving credit, yeah, it may cost me, you know, let's say 12 points, but I'm going to refinance that investment property within six months anyway. So I'm only servicing that debt at that interest rate for six months. Once I refinance and pay myself back, I'm back at, you know, you know, I've paid, I've serviced that debt. So again, it just depends on that long-term strategy, but to have zero interest long-term, it it, it could be, that's pretty much a long shot. Yeah, that's a, you're talking hard money there for, for those investors who, are, who might be familiar with that. Okay, so we got a question from New York. What are your thoughts on the debt consolidation companies? I think we talked about that. Are they legit? In other words, would you advise your own family member to use it and why? I think we can actually skip that one because we earlier talked about it. Um, New York, another question from New York. What are the key fundamentals of a credit restore program? The person is making the same amount of money. Is it balance transfer, credit card increase? Uh, I guess they're thinking more of kind of like what you guys do uh and i probably said to check them out but i don't know if you want to answer that at a high level for easy funding what 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 are some of the things they would look at yeah so essentially uh again i look at everything based upon the end goal so like for example with the division of our credit repair restoration services we're going to service someone whose end goal to purchase a home completely Mm -hmm. different than someone who's looking to start a business Right. And the reason that is, is because there's different strategies that we have to take in helping them get in position. And so uh, as far as how you're looking at money, again, one, I'm going to look at how do you get the cheaper money? And then two, depending on what that end game is. And then thirdly, we're looking at an ROI because right. again, there's so many, I talk to so many entrepreneurs that go into business and they don't know what their ROI is. If I put in X amount of dollars, what is the potential that I can make back and how am I going to make my money back? Those right. are the questions I'm not asking. Opportunity cost. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So a uh, question from Atlanta. Is increasing your credit line detrimental or beneficial to your credit score? Very good question. So um, it can help you from a standpoint long-term because it gives you access to more revolving credit in the event if you have to use it. So mm-hmm. giving you that cushion. So going back to that scenario, if you have $1,000, just all you have is $1,000 revolving credit and you use 500 of it, you're at 50%. I go and ask for an increase and it goes to 10,000. Now I'm at 5%. So long-term, it actually has more of an adverse effect. The psychological part where people think it's a bad thing is because you get a credit inquiry. But Mm. I I tell people, look at credit like a weighted scale. If it has more of a positive impact than a negative, it's going to outweigh that. Plus, you can always dispute an inquiry. 
And that's so that's, a, that's, that's a, a fantastic that's a fantastic uh point right there like way outweighing i think that's what a lot of this conversation when I've, i'm speaking with you it's that it's there's not this one answer it's all Never very right. exactly roi what's the opportunity cost is it a business do you, do you believe in your business right, right. so I, I really that was a fantastic answer uh last two last three questions uh from toronto here credit utilization uh assuming you have a good credit score near 750 but want to increase to 800 are you better off asking for a credit limit increase to lower your utilization or will the additional credit check hits be more detrimental to your score? I think we just covered this. I think the question they're asking is perhaps a better question. How much is your um, score affected by a credit inquiry when asking for an increase? At what point does lowering your utilization no longer increase your score? I think that maybe the last question there, I think we covered the beginning. At what point does lowering your utilization no longer increase your score? When you're in, so typically... So I always say 30% is like the bar. That's like being average, 30% usage. The lower you are below 30%, ideally you want to be at about 10% or less. So yes, that 30% to 0% usage makes a huge difference. But then remember I talked about 15% being the length of credit. So sometimes you just have to let your credit sit. And when people say, hey, I want to get at 800, I always ask why. Hmm. 800 is really just... Bragging rights? <laughs> because yeah. you're going to get the same interest, the same whatever from a 720 to an 820. Right. Like, yeah. 800 is just, you know, getting 20s as opposed to 22s or whatever. So, yeah, it, it really is not that much of a difference. Okay. So the, the second and last question here, I think you'll really appreciate this one because I don't, I don't think I know this one either. Uh, you have three credit cards with a limit of 10K uh, each. 9k in the credit card debt and want to keep your utilization below 30. Uh, can you have the balance of 9k on your lowest interest rate card and make payments to that card with no penalty to your score or do you need to split the balance across the three cards for minimum effect? I think here's what they're saying. If, if you have 9k on one card, right? So you, you owe 9k, you have 9k of, 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 of credit. Mm -hmm. Is it better for me to take that credit and split it into three different cards so that now all those other three cards are, are at a 30%. Would that make a difference rather than it just Very having it on question. one? Yeah. Very good question. So it depends on the situation. And this is what I mean. You have a 10K card. I mean, you have three 10K cards. Yeah. You have a $9,000 balance. And so let's say you put On one. It sounds like on one. one. It sounds like, yeah. So now you're at 90% utilization on that one card. Right. You go to the bank and you're trying to borrow more revolving credit. It's going to impact you. Because typically they want you to be below utilization on every single individual card across the board. But okay. your overall utilization, it may not, it won't impact you from a score standpoint. So it really depends again on what the strategy is, which is why having access to I always say it's three people you need to have on your team as an entrepreneur. You need a, a, a tax specialist and the tax strategist have access to an attorney and you need a credit strategist. Because these are the things that you'll assume because you have a 790 credit score with that same particular situation, you'll go to the bank and try to get a business line of credit and get denied because you're at 90% on that one card. And mm. a lot of times these bank underwriters can't even tell you why that's the case. Because a lot of times people in these positions who are making money decisions or making decisions to lend us the money, they know little to nothing about credit. So, I mean, it, it, that's why yeah. I call it the credit game. But yeah, in that situation, it depends on what it is they're trying to do. 
Bars, bars, man. I mean, Will, I can't thank you enough, man. I, I learned so much just sitting here with you. And I know you took a, a lot of your time to come in here. And, and best believe, I, uh, I will be sharing this with the community. Where can the people check you out? Because clearly, like I said, you are the subject matter expert that came into the lab. You have a company that's running, doing very well. I want people to come to you for the rest of these answers. Uh, you guys, instead of hit me up, hit, uh, hit Will up. He, he's your man for that. And I love what you said. I don't think we talk about that too often as a credit uh, um, strategist in, in, on your team. I really like that. So that's something I'm actually going to take away myself. Uh, but where, where can the people find more about you, man? Yeah, definitely. So I'm um, very active on social media, uh, Instagram, where I'm the most active, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube uh, at Mr. Will Roundtree. Uh, I have a I think I have over 80 videos on YouTube uh, right now. My most popular video, how to get the perfect credit score, about 4,000 views shy of a million uh, views. And yes, uh, they can go and view that on YouTube. Plus, you know, I have my words with Will, just inspire entrepreneurs. Uh, I do a FICO Friday every week where I'm answering questions about credit, business, real estate, entrepreneurship. I also post those to YouTube uh, again on Instagram. I'm very uh, accessible. I try to engage with, you know, my, uh, my, my, my audience and all of that. And then of course you can go to our website, uh, we management, That's we management, And of course, you know, my books, uh, on Amazon, my website, willroundtree.com. And, you know, and, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm very accessible, you know, and I try to uh, make sure that I get back to as many people as I can without them, you know, asking me full on client, questions that a typical coaching client would ask, you know, I definitely try to respond and get back to as many people as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's big because uh, not only do we respect how much value you gave and, and this is your business and uh, people are paying uh, a good amount of money to, to get access to you. So not only are we thankful for you making yourself accessible to us, uh, we thank you for your time and we're definitely going to be, I'm definitely going to be plugging your book. I'm going to, it's going straight to my cart. I will show you. I'll drop that in my story. <laughs> Full-time CEO credit is King. Uh, this was huge, man. Big thanks to you. And just like that, y'all, we are out. Peace. Thank you. Thank you, brother. This was, uh, uh, you brought a lot of light to me, man, uh, even on the, on the credit side. Uh, and it's such a big conversation to have that in investors are having. And sometimes there's this, this misunderstanding, like you said, uh, that, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to multifamily. And they look at the assets, asset-based lending. Yeah, but, you know, you might need to leverage your, your, your own personal credit yeah. down the road for, for, for another business. Yeah. So I, I think it's just such a good conversation, man. And, uh, man, your wisdom is it's it's uh, very admirable, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for having yeah. me on. I look forward to working with you again in the future. Yes, sir. Let's be in touch. Uh, what what can I do? I'm a super connector. If I run into someone, I'm always running into uh, big uh, people. Uh, if, if there's one thing I can do for you, man, what is it? Who is a person? Who is the type of person I, I could make a, a quick introduction with? Uh, I'd like to keep you top of mind. Is that a type of person? A specific name? Who is it? I mean, I, I'm just open. If anybody yeah. you feel that could, you know, we have some synergy or you feel that our resources would be uh, useful or, you know, mm -hmm. even, you know, individuals who may, because I think we don't utilize, like you say, subject matter experts enough to go into corporations and really educate okay. other businesses about this information. And so that's mm -hmm. really something that I'm trying to focus on here in 2020 and, and okay. going to the banks and the companies and saying, hey, look, this is what we need to understand about credit. Cause now you can service your clients better. You could, you know, be able to get access to loans more. Like I connect with a lot of bank underwriters because one of their biggest challenges, especially in the business department of banks, they turn down 
more applications than they approve. Wow. So what, what, what we've been able to do is partner with them to help them overturn a lot of those apps. So now they can go back in six months. It's a win for the client. It's a win for the of bank. Course. Okay. Of course, it's a win for us. So, you know, so yeah, so just anywhere within the realm and just creating more affiliate partners would be the Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I think you might appreciate uh, what, what you're seeking out these relationships. There's a book called Dream 100. Um, I don't know if you heard of it. Uh, I think it's fascinating, man, because uh, I'm using my business right now. Um, it's it's basically connecting with the super connectors, right? Mm, so like I, those 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 folks, right? Like the banks, like the brokers, like those are the people you want to market to instead of marketing to the consumers. Right, Man, uh, you got to, um, and it's fascinating because he, he gives you the model of your, you talk about ROI a lot and you, <laughs> he talks about an infinite ROI because if let's say I have an audience of, again, applicants of entrepreneurs and there's a million of them and they, 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 they're, they're, they're my audience. And then I bring you on board and I say, Hey, you got to go to this guy, your return on investment on, on, on marketing to me or trying to reach out to me is infinite because of oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and so it's fascinating because I never looked at that at, at marketing that way. He takes it to a whole nother level. I'm going to make sure I, I, I text it to you. I think that'll be a, uh, uh, help yeah. you, help you out in your vision, man. Uh, that's yeah, what actually it's all about. marketing to the consumers because yeah. It's 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 a longer journey, yeah, one at a time. Yeah, strategic partnerships is definitely the way to go. And I actually learned that in a book from Russell Simmons, Do You, when he talked about the power of joint ventures. Yes, since then, a light bulb went off, and I was like, you know what, I only want to focus on, like you said, the super connectors, yeah. The so plug. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. Listen, I'm going to keep you top of mind for that. I'm glad you told me. Uh, and I'm at the same time. Now I have someone to send my clients to because yeah. that's a big gap that I've had. And right, some folks are, you know, they don't have a game plan. They're at a bad place and I can't help them come to the closing table, but yeah. I don't necessarily have this specific person that I believe in that I can send them to. And I'm in yeah. this for the long run, man. So, uh, so I'm not going anywhere and I appreciate this. We'll, we'll, we'll touch with periodically. <laughs> Listen, man, I know your time is valuable. Actually, you usually give a heads up uh, my booking is usually 30 minutes but these tend to go over i apologize if i i, 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 I went over a buffer so yeah so i so so thank you for your time man i will be sending out uh, my team will send out a fall with all the links everything uh, when it goes out and that we'll be taking on snippets and sending people to your page man so uh, well thank you man and a big shout to michelle she was also very helpful all right king appreciate you thank, right. you. thank you man take care brother if you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time, at Invested Talent, we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right. Our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, invested talent can help. Simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team.
You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.